say, hey, I'm going to use this, okay? So you, you all can pray with me, pray that it works. Are you glad to be here tonight? Thank God it is in football season, huh? And I love football. I love the Seattle Seahawks. I know y'all up here Cowboys fans. You want to hear something funny? All of my siblings and my dad are Dallas Cowboys fans. We'll just say that our family has a very unique dynamic going on every football season. Um, I guess I should put these on so I can see. Tonight, during worship, I just uh, was going through, I was telling my wife, uh, just feeling pulled in a lot of directions. Um, sometimes you, you have this sense of uh, God just speaking to you so many things, and, and they all seem to, uh, in fact, uh, Pastor Ray will relate to this, and if you've ever done any you know, public speaking or ministry or you're preparing to preach or teach, uh, w- one of the things that is, you, you have to learn how to do is to capture the mind of God, capture the idea of God, because you'll suddenly have a number of intersecting streams. They just all begin to kind of flow through your head and your spirit is uh, stirred. And, and so I was going through some of that tonight. So I may be all over the place. And if I'm all over the place, just flow with me, okay? And I'll try to still make it interesting with the help of the Holy Spirit, right? And, uh, and speak to you and, and give you a word in season. Um, I don't know how I'm going to flow tonight, but I may flow in and out of ministry while I'm speaking. I may save it to the end. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so you can pray for me. I'm still like, getting food out of my teeth, so that's another challenge. Uh, so, you know, anyway, just got a lot going on in my mouth, in my head, in my spirit. It's just all over the place. So, Did you come with any uh, sense of expectation tonight? And is your expectation in Jesus? Me too. Me too. I learned a long time ago that uh, it's, it's Him that's got to do the work, right? He's, he stands up in us. By the way, isn't it exciting that He's here? And he's the special guest. And he's indwelling you and he's indwelling I, I, you, me. Yeah, that's it. Indwelling you and indwelling me. He is present. He's a very present help in the time of need. Isn't it great that we no longer have to travel to some place on planet Earth so that we can encounter God? We don't have to make this pilgrimage to a land or to a place. It's great if you do that, if you want to learn. Um, But can I just say something very radical to you? Jesus is no nearer to the people in jerusalem uh, than he is to you and i okay and uh, he is right here his temple is a many membered many colored many tribe many tongue many kindred a beautiful multicolored, incredible coat of many colors that jesus is wearing proudly as the father's heavenly joseph he's displaying it everywhere and it's beautiful and he he wears us and we wear him and he's in us and and we're in him and there's just this incredible exchange that has happened between us and Jesus Christ. And we are new covenant people. Amen. And that's, that's radical. And because we live on this side of the cross. And this side of the resurrection. We, many times we don't really understand the implications. Of how privileged we are. Of how privileged we are to actually be the dwelling place of God in the spirit. That we are the temple. The house of God has come near. God's dwelling place is among men and women. And children and Anybody who believes. But God's dwelling place is among us and in us now. 
So, you know, um, even, you know, I even find, and I'm not trying to slam anything we sing or do or anything, and this has nothing to do with the set tonight, it's great. But, you know, I find sometimes I, I, I will even be in my own prayer life and I'll be saying, come Lord, and I'll just hear the Holy Spirit say, stop it. I'm here, I'm in you. I don't move in and move out just because you can't feel me. You know, sometimes we live this almost, uh, we just live this really unhealthy concept, and I'm just shooting from the hip right now, can you tell? But we live this really unhealthy concept that somehow God comes and goes and he leaves his house and then, you know, we sin and then we think he moves out and he goes somewhere and he kind of stands at a distance brooding and angry. And then as soon as we repent, he comes rushing back in. And so, you know, the Lord is just, you know, if that's if, if that's how it is, I mean, he's coming and going all the time. Right. But that's not how it is. The Lord indwells us. He lives inside of us. When we move towards something that displeases him, he lets us know. He speaks gently, but he speaks forcefully. He cuts and he he says, no, that will hurt you. It's because he doesn't want to see us damaged. He doesn't want to see us destroyed. He doesn't want to see our spirit, our soul wounded. He wants us to be secure in him. He wants us to have confidence when we approach him. We won't have this thing in the back of our mind condemning us and telling us how we blew it. And so anyway, can I just encourage you with something you might feel in your life right now? And I'm just shooting from the hip, as I said, probably talking too fast. But you may feel, you may be here tonight and you may feel like, you know, the Lord is just, I'm in a dry season and he's taking a, you know, a, a vacation and he's out on planet Zeno somewhere or whatever, right? And he's just hanging out out there. No, I'm not Mormon, so don't worry about it. But, you know, he's out there somewhere on a distant planet or distant land and, and uh, you know, he, he just, he doesn't, he, he doesn't love me. He's not near me anymore. God kind of checked out of my life. And here's what I want to say to you. There is absolutely, positively no truth to that statement at all if you've become a follower and believer in Jesus Christ. And I don't care how bad you've blown it, how far you think you've gone, how distant you think God is. God's been chasing you, pursuing you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's embraced you. He loves you. He's wooing you. And he's saying, you know, just come. Come to me. Come to me. I'm a very near God. He's closer than our skin, closer than our breath. He indwells us. I trip out on that all the time. That new covenant concept that we are the dwelling place of God. So be assured. Be assured, saints. The Lord is inside of you. Right? You know, one of the things that, uh, not to get too theological here, but I think one of the real damaging concepts that came out of holiness Pentecostal theology, and if that's your background, I'm not slamming your background because that's my background as well. But one of the most damaging concepts that came out of holiness Pentecostal theology, that came out of holiness Methodist theology, that came out of holiness Arminian theology was the idea that somehow your salvation and keeping right with God and walking in sanctification we're all up to you and you got to hold on and be holy and work hard and try. And you better not be watching a bad movie or doing something sinful when Jesus comes back or you're not going to make the cut. And I know that some of you even heard that kind of preaching growing up or you were around that kind of an idea. And I just want to tell you something that's not biblical. It's not in there. I don't find it where our salvation and sanctification isn't hanging in the balance based upon our perfect behavior all the time. Okay, I believe the scripture teaches very clearly we are secure. And I want to tell you something. If you live in grace, you'll be holy. If you live in grace, 
If you really have an understanding of the fact that you're favored and loved by God and you're secure in God and you're not, your life isn't constantly hanging in the balance based upon your behavior, which is nothing more than a form of behavioral modification and it is not healthy in the Christian life. But if you have this deep-rooted, grounded sense, I'm loved, I'm secure, I'm favored, God indwells me, He's working inside of me to make me holy, but it's an inside-out work, not an outside-in work, and He is perfecting me every day, making me more and more like Jesus. I am complete in Him right now, but I'm becoming completer. And if you really, really live there, and you understand that grace will make you holy, grace isn't going to say, yeah, go sin. Grace is going to say, keep becoming like Jesus. It's going to be working inside you to make you like Jesus. But if you blow it, if you fall, it's not like, oh man, I'm just glad Jesus didn't come back. That has got to be one of the most damaging doctrines ever. It keeps people insecure constantly. And And here's the sad thing about it. It causes us to have to work primarily on outward behavior that conforms to what other people put on us. And the inside can be full of dead man's bones. No life. But the outside can be a whitewashed tomb. That's just not healthy. So I just want to to encourage you. You're new covenant people. Your identity is secure in Christ. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He's not against you. You're in the family of God. You have his seal upon you. And I just want to tell you real quick, here's another little one. One of the other things that annoys me is all the fear out there about the Antichrist and what's going on in the world and everything's going to hell in a handbasket and the world's getting so bad. And, and, all, and anyway, let me just assure you of something. There is nothing that can stop God from triumphing on this planet before Jesus Christ comes back. That is how it ends. It doesn't end with us losing and him losing. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon over 100 years ago. He said, you know, those who would say that everything's just going to get worse before Jesus would come back, obviously do not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission. For why would he say, go and make disciples of all the nations, but you're going to fail and everybody's going to fall away. So we've obviously misunderstood some things in the scripture. If he's told us to go and make disciples of the nations, and if the idea and the heart of God is to change. Listen, when Jesus came out of that tomb, when he rose from the dead and he came out of that tomb and he ascended to the right hand of God, he began a process of reversing the curse, turning everything backward, and everything that fell in the garden is on its way to restoration, and it's going to be better than the garden. That's where we're going. That's the trajectory that we're on. We are on a trajectory of Jesus Christ filling and redeeming all of creation. Amen? He's going to fill it with himself. Every molecule is going to be redeemed. All of creation is going to be restored and made beautiful again. The kingdom is among us now. It's growing. Right now, all over the world, people are coming to Jesus like never before in history. 30,000 a day in China, 15,000 a day in India, 15,000 a day in South America, and all over this planet. A day. Yes, I said a day. All over this planet. This planet is running to Jesus. So we can be encouraged. Now, we, we have a work to do. We have a lot of work to do. But that work is going to come from the inside out, from people who know they're called. So anyway, just be encouraged. We live in good days. doesn't matter who's the president or what the government looks like or any of that. We get too caught up in that stuff. 
That's not controlling your destiny, my destiny. Those things will affect us, absolutely. But ultimately, if we cling to Jesus, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He's the ruler of the nations. Just saying. Just saying. This is a good setup for a quote. You know, what I'm sharing tonight, uh, and I'm just, like I said, I'm just going to kind of run here, there, and everywhere. But I'm going to continue with the idea of encountering Jesus and I want to talk to you about our identity, our mission, and meaning in Jesus. Our identity, our mission, and finding our meaning in Jesus. And I love this quote from a New Tribes missionary. If you know anything about New Tribes, they're radical. They go to places that are dangerous. They go to places where angels fear to tread. And they bring Jesus. And this is an unknown New Tribes missionary. And he said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Wow. Say, boom. Say, boom. (laughs) So, you know, tonight I want to take you into the life of Peter. How many of you like Peter? Peter and his radical, bold faith. Peter and willing to step out onto the water. Peter and denying Jesus and putting his foot in his mouth. Peter and foot and mouth disease. I love Peter. You ever done that? You ever been there? Peter should give any of us hope in this room. Who have a tendency to let the tongue move before the brain engages. If that's your tendency and you feel like there's no hope for me, it just starts moving and the next thing I know I'm going, oh man, come on back here. If that's you, I want to encourage you. Peter is your model. And he's your friend. And he is awesome. I love Peter. He has bodacious faith. And I love the way that he stepped out there. So I want to, I want to show you three encounters that Peter had I'm going to try to move through this pretty quickly, but I'm going to show you a progression in his life when he first met Jesus, and then a second encounter that he had, and then a third encounter that he had, and that third encounter was kind of like, okay, there's no turning back, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to walk you through those three progressions. My first encounter is when we find Jesus, and let me just clarify something. Peter thought he found Jesus, but the truth of the matter was Jesus found him. You see, my theology at least, you might not agree with this, we can debate later, But my theology teaches that God's the initiator, God's the pursuer, God's the chaser, God's the savior. And uh, that really my faith isn't about the fact that I found Jesus. He found me. Right. I mean, this is if, if we could get a picture of what it looked like. I was running full steam away from him, a rebel and an enemy and a hater. And he was right behind me, keeping up with me the whole time, kept tapping me on the shoulder. Hey, Doug, turn around, turn around. And I'm going, nope, nope, nope. And then one day I just I thought I heard his voice. And I'm like, what is that? And I turn around and smack. He was right there. And I'm like, I found you, Jesus. And he was there all along. So that's my theology. I just want to say that up front. That my theology is that he found us first. But I'm going to look at how he found Jesus. And when he found Jesus, he experienced the beginning of a new identity. How he followed Jesus. And when he followed Jesus, he found his mission. And then how he forsook all for Jesus. And that's where he really discovered his meaning in Jesus, who he really was. And so I'm going to take you, first of all, to the first encounter, which is finding Jesus in our identity. And it's John chapter 1, verse 40. So if you've got a Bible, turn over to John chapter 1, verse 40. And I love this text of Scripture. It's based upon what I can determine in reading all the Gospels. This is actually the first time that Simon Peter encountered Jesus. And I, I love... 
uh, his brother Andrew here and, and what takes place. But uh, John chapter 1, verse 40 says, One of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means or is translated a stone or Peter. I remember when I first came to Christ, I I shared some of my testimony this morning, but I first came to Christ, I was a very shattered young man. My real father, again, I'd been separated from him as a child, and my stepfather was one of those kind of men that uh, he didn't know how to show affection or affirmation. He was very exacting, had high, high expectations. Along with that, he was alcoholic. And uh, so I just remember growing up all the time very insecure about his love. When I would go to sleep at night or we would say goodbye or do anything like that, everything was always based upon a handshake. He did not hug. He never said, I love you. He would shake my hand and say, good night, Doug. That's how I went to bed every night with a handshake. And uh, so I grew up uh, as a child knowing that my real dad must not love me because he left and he'd never called and he never got in contact. He never sent child support or any of those things. And my stepfather didn't know how to love me. And he, you know, he tried to show me. I mean, he, he did certain things. Every once in a while, he would show a little bit of softness. He had high expectations in me. He thought I should achieve. He thought I should be a great student. He required a lot of me in school. Um, and, but at the same time, I got very few attaboys. Okay, so I'm growing up. And, like, and, and many of you have similar stories. You'll know what I'm talking about. But you're growing up, and the whole time, you're wanting your dad to be proud of you. And you're wanting him to affirm you. And that's just not happening. And I remember I played sports and, you know, I was a good athlete and I would always, I remember going to the game and I'd look up in the stands, is he out there? Is he up there? And sometimes he would be. And I remember then I would just, you know, I'd go out for that next play, man, and I'd be ready to try to achieve, like just, I'm going to make a tackle. I'm going to hit that shot because I I was looking for that affirmation in my life. So I, I, I uh, had a, a real tumultuous teenage period in my life. I started using drugs at 13 and we started to move when I was about 15. We moved 14 and a half. We moved from state to state, went to four high schools in three states. And uh, finally, when I hit about 17, we had an ultimate falling out. Lots of explosive, you know, physical abuse, that kind of thing. I finally ran away for good at 17. And then I went through a lot of stuff. I really ended up broken, making a lot of stupid decisions, being a knucklehead, getting in a lot of trouble. And finally, at 19, I had this radical conversion experience. And so I've just gotten saved. I've just got reunited with my real father. And I'm thinking, you know, he's going to be the one. He's going he's to affirm me. He's going to give me what I've looked for my whole life. And let me just say, he disappointed me deeply. He never did become the dad I wanted him to become. And now I look back on it and I'm grateful. Because Father God fathered me. God took me on as his personal project. He really did. And one of the ways he did that is I would be in a meeting with my dad. My dad's a prophet and we'd bring in these. And this is back in the in the 80s and the early 90s. We'd bring in these really well-known prophetic ministers. I was living in Southern California. Guys that are Bill Hammond and a number of them like that. We'd come into these meetings, Larry Randolph and others. And uh, I would be sitting on the back row 
And I would be sitting behind somebody and this prophet would be up there and they'd come to ministry time. You know, they'd start calling people out and giving words. And I remember I'd be back there like this and there'd be a head in front of me and that prophet would be looking back at me and I'd be hiding. I didn't want a word. You know, some people come to a prophetic meeting and they're like, hey, look at me. Hey, prophet. Woo. You know, they got a little light over them. They come with a little light on the top of their head. Prophesy to me. Prophesy to me. You know, that, that's the way many people are. I wasn't. I'm like, no, I didn't want to be publicly called out and embarrassed and have my mail read. And, and of course, and I was also sure that those people were going to read my laundry list of sin. And I was just waiting for it. And I had a long list. Even after I became a Christian, I was still struggling with all kinds of stuff. So I'm sitting on the back row and these prophets, they started coming to these meetings and they would go, young man back there. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. The one trying to hide you. And then they would call me out and they'd stand me up and they would give me these words. And I remember hearing these words come and they would flow over my mind and over my heart and they would say my call. They would tell me how the father loved me. They would speak into me words of affirmation and tell me about how God was going to use me and do things in my life. And I remember initially thinking, you know, I'd be like, you talk, wait, you, you're, you mean him? No, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, right? And I, I remember I was trying to avoid it and, and I had a hard time receiving it. But over time, through different men who spoke into my life, men that saw a call, they saw a touch, they saw the grace of God on my life. I remember just slowly but surely getting this affirmation. And then there was this time we'd moved to Moses Lake. We sold everything we had, moved from Southern California, went there to help my dad. We didn't even have a car. A friend of ours drove us up there and dropped us off. We went on a word. We didn't know anything. Young and stupid, a newborn baby, and just like, you know, wide-eyed and ready to see God do what he was going to do. And uh, my Father and I began to have lots of problems in the church and in the ministry. And he was, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to expose him or anything because he's a man of God and he's, he's you know, doing much, much better and he's a great guy and I love him. But he went through a season where he was in a leadership crisis in the church and he and I were having conflict and we were clashing. I hope he never watches the stream. I don't want to expose him. But anyway, we were having lots of issues and my heart was really wounded from him. And I, I, again, I didn't respond rightly either. I don't want to paint myself as some kind of perfect disciple. I wasn't. But he was, he, he had done some things that really hurt me. And I remember one night I came home, and Peggy will remember this, I came home, and I was just broken. She didn't know what was actually going on, but I felt on the edge of a nervous breakdown. And, you know, all my dreams about ministry, I thought they were all about to blow to pieces. And I, I walked in, my, in the door of our house, and the phone rang. And I picked up the phone, and this guy's on the phone named Howard. And I'd only been acquainted with him. And I'd just had a conflict. And he picks up the phone, and he says, hey, Doug. I said, hi. He says, I have a word for you. And I'm like, okay, here it goes. And he begins to tell me in detail exactly what's happening in my life, exactly what's happening with the father issue. And as he speaks over my life, he starts to speak from the heartbeat of the father he says and i'm your father i'm your abba i'm your daddy and i love you and you're my son and he just began to affirm me well by this time i'm on the phone and i am just <laughs> you know i'm just sobbing snots going everywhere it's a mess and the father is loving me the father is affirming and he's speaking into my life well here in this particular text jesus meets simon and first time they've ever met and 
he seems to look at Simon and he seems to go beyond the surface. And he looks with prophetic eyes. He looks into him. He discerns clearly. He gazes upon him. He looks beyond the flesh, the physical makeup, and he looks into the very soul, spirit, destiny, future, who he's going to become, and he begins to call it out. He says, you're a rock. Now, if you know anything about Peter, that's hilarious. I often say Peter was like trying to nail jello to the wall. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you know, Peter was like this all the time. I mean, you know, just kind of move with the wind, shook with everything. And now Jesus is saying, you're a rock. You're solid. You're secure. And he spoke of the character that he would be. And, you know, again, Simon at that time was an impulsive, emotional, quite easily moved man who was anything but a rock. And he goes on to become a rock in the history of the church. He goes on to be one of the greatest men of God that's ever walked the face of the earth, one of the most impactful people ever in history. He changes the history of the planet. And here he's a fisherman named Simon who's just been called out by Jesus and had something spoken into him. And, you know, I I just I want to encourage you. And I know you've had some teaching on identity in the last couple of years, and that's where you've gone. But I really want to encourage you that you're not what you think about yourself often. You're somebody different. Jesus sees a different man and a different woman, a different young person than what you see. He sees beyond where you're at today. You may be in a cycle and a pattern of sin and you are so self-condemned. All you see is failure, loser, bum, addict, whatever it may be. And you've already counted yourself out. Nine, ten. It's over. He looks at you. And he sees something different. He sees someone beautiful, unique, somebody that has never existed in human history. He sees a person that has been blended together in character, personality, looks, communication, style. Do you just think about this of any human being ever born from the dawn of time into the present? Nobody has ever been like you. Nobody's ever been molded, fitted, shaped like you. Nobody has the unique talents, gifts, or abilities. Nobody has the expression of Jesus Christ that you have. He has a multifaceted character and personality. He is beyond containing in a body. He's beyond containing in the universe. And every human being that is redeemed and knows Him is an expression of something unique about His character and beautiful about who He is. And you are a unique character expression of the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. That's profound. That's not just me being a motivational speaker trying to encourage you. That is the ultimate, absolute truth. How could Jesus take these 12 that he had? 11 that made it. Think about them. What a joke. You have a zealot, you know, he would have been a modern militia guy, right? He would have been, you know, against everything and everybody. He'd have been angry. And then you have a tax collector, the government. I mean, just think about it. These two are hanging out together. I'm going to shoot you. And um, no, you're not. Give me your taxes. 
I mean, these guys are in the same team. You got Peter, a fisherman. I mean, you look at this group. They're a joke. They changed the world. He spoke something into them. Beautiful. And then the second encounter. Where we follow Mark chapter one. According to what I can see in the Gospels, this is the second time that Jesus met. Is there a bottle of water somewhere? I know I saw one in here earlier. Okay, yeah, can I get a water? Thank you. So uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. These are simple texts. I, you know, I just want to say, I know for most of you here, you're a well-taught church and you get a lot of Bible and a lot of teaching. And some of the stuff I'm sharing with you, it's so simple and so basic. But I want to tell you something. I've just learned as a pastor, I used to make all kinds of assumptions about people and knowledge. I've come to learn something. Knowledge doesn't do nothing for you if it ain't worked in you. Right? Thank you so much. And so look at this. Uh, Mark 1, 16 through 18. Second time they meet, passing along the Sea of Galilee. Is this helping anybody, by the way? Okay. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Now... He'd already met them in John 1. Now we're in Mark 1, second encounter. He sees Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you. And I love what the, um, the English Standard Version here, it says it in the New King James as well, follow me, and I will make you become. Can you say become? Become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Jesus is calling you to follow him. Why do we make it so hard? Follow me. Follow me. I remember when uh, our, old, our oldest son was just a little guy, and, and many of you will have similar stories, but still a little guy. I, I just remember that he was my shadow. Everywhere I went and everything I did, he did it. He copied the way I worshipped. If my right arm went up, his right arm went up. I remember one time, a very distinct memory, I think Peggy will, will remember too. We're up in the prayer room of our church and we're walking around praying and I'm walking around talking and he's walking around next to me talking. And then I just, you know, I think I, I, think I went to my knees or something. I just went down to my knees and I turn and I look and there he is. He's on his knees and he's doing exactly what I'm doing. He's imitating me. Follow me. Come now. And, and those, those two Greek words for follow me there, the two Greek words when you put them together, literally mean come now and follow behind. Come now and follow behind. Come and follow what I do. Come and watch me. And of course, you're, you're not going to be able to know what that looks like unless you read the Bible, you pray, you're in community. There's some real basic things we're going to need to do if we're going to understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But I want to assure you of something. That is not a call beyond anybody in this room. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You might think following. What does that mean? Well, is Jesus inside of you? Is the Holy Spirit inside of you? Does he indwell you? Are you a believer? Have you put faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord? Has he cleansed you? Are you a child of God? How many children of God in here? How many of you have experienced the cleansing blood of Christ? How many of you are secure that you're forgiven? How many of you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit? How many of you know you're God's son or daughter? How many of you know you're loved? You, you, you're aware you were favored when you didn't deserve it. You're aware of that, right? Okay. 
you can follow him. But now's where it gets kind of down to brass tacks. And he makes us become. These two words mean I'll construct you. I'll bring you into the full existence of what I want of you. He'll make you become. I love that because it takes a lot of pressure off. Many of us, we go through this experience when we walk with Jesus that he wants some kind of instantaneous type of change in our life. He wants us to become something today, yesterday, right? And this speaks of process. I'll make you become something. And the first thing he's going to make you become is like him. Right? And that's what he's doing. He's making you like him. Isn't that good news? That means there should be some change, some observable working of God that's doing something inside of us if we're following him, right? Is that right? Now, here's where it gets down to brass tacks. And I'm going to challenge you tonight with this. And I'll make you become fishers of men. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to meddle. Can I meddle? You can say amen and you can say oh me or oh my or oh man. Whatever you need to say. But I'm going to meddle for a few minutes. Here the Lord shows them their future vocation. And by the way, he wasn't just telling them that because they were fishermen. He was relating to them in their vernacular. But if they had done some other kind of business or some other kind of work at that moment, when he called them, he would have related it to the idea of reaching the world. Because that's the mission of every follower of Jesus. You can take this mission, you can take this encounter, you can lay it over your life. I want to ask you right now to go with me into the Bible, into the stories of the Scripture, and I want you to place your own life here. You're Simon Peter, and he's saying to you, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of people. And the Greek word for men there is actually a word that can be translated people. It's not... um, Uh, gender specific thank you it's not gender specific it's a word that means people okay so i'll make you become fishers of people he shows them what they're called to do he shows them that they are called to reach their world and to receive this mission and not reject it now it says they immediately left their nets and they followed him i want to camp on this for a minute and i i just want to bring it home i've been really challenging our church in grace Okay, now now hear me on this. Not just saying, not just putting the heavy revy, you're all a failure, none of you do evangelism, you're bums and losers, now go win your neighbors. Okay, that's not what I'm saying to you. So hear my heart. But I have found something as I've watched Christians in America, in the church in North America. Most of us are terrified of sharing the gospel. And the truth is we don't do it. Let's be honest. Let's have a, can we have a family talk? I'm going to put up my feet and we're going to talk. We're going to talk as brothers and sisters. We have justified, we have figured it out. You know, I've heard some of the most creative reasons why we don't tell people about Jesus. I mean, incredibly creative. Well, the Lord called me to the church. I've heard that one over and over again over the years. I'm a teacher. I'm mostly called to speak to the body of Christ. I'm not, my gift is in evangelism. Now, can you just say this with me? Okay, that's called a raspberry. Some people will be particularly gifted in grace to win people. Evangelistic. Gifted in that way. Absolutely. But you know what's interesting about the five-fold ministry? We'll talk about the five-fold ministry for a minute. You know all, you're again a well-taught church. So the five-fold ministry, what is the job of the five-fold ministry? If we use the hand picture again, the job of the five-fold ministry is to have each 
of the fivefold ministers equip the saints for the work of ministry. So let's just say, for instance, I'm an evangelist and I have an evangelistic gift. My call is to impart a measure of the grace of evangelism to the whole of the body. So that we will win our neighbors to Christ. Now, some will be primarily evangelistic. And so when that evangelist speaks or equips or teaches, something will go boom inside and come alive. And they'll just be winning their neighbors like crazy and bringing people to Christ uh, in great numbers. But there will be others of us that are just, you know, that's not our thing. That's not our gig. That's not where we're naturally gifted. Maybe we're introverts. You know, we're not going to definitely go knock on a door, which, by the way, that's not what evangelism necessarily is. Or stand on a street corner. See, throw away all your stereotypes. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to make friendships with our sphere of influence. Our circle of life. Circle of life. Okay, that's my little singing time there. Okay, we're, we're, we're called to make relationships with this circle. To get into people's lives. To be like Jesus and become a friend of sinners. And then to invite sinners into our life and be willing to go there and not be afraid to be seen hanging out with sinners. I have a I have a uh, I know a guy, uh, a man that's that's been a friend of mine for a number of years. We just got reacquainted and his son has taken over his church up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And he was just telling us the other day, my son has started an outreach, a campus outreach in their church in Coeur d'Alene in a bar. <gasps> Say it with me. <gasps> No, not a bar. What if people see them going into the bar? So what? Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's all they could do is find fault with what he was doing. So they go, this is what they do. On Sunday afternoon, what do you say, like three o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock? Five o'clock in the afternoon, they go to a bar. The bar doesn't show... By the way, the people who own the bar, this is going to really freak you out. Oh, I know I'm in the Bible Belt. Help me, Jesus. The people who own the bar are Christians. Oh, wait a minute. I know some of you right now, something inside you is like, Argh. I'm not trying to give commentary on if it's right or wrong. I'm just saying they own the bar. And they said, they, this is what they said. For years, they've been asking churches all around the region to hold a Bible study and an outreach in their bar, and nobody would do it. And they finally talked to this guy, and he said, I'll do it. So he brought a team down. They come down to the bar at like five in the evening. They open it up. They play music in the bar. Jesus, we love you. Have another drink on me. No, just kidding. <laughs> right? They're doing it. And you know what? How many people did they say were coming? 40 or 50. 40 or 50 people in this bar. You know, we, we are so afraid of the mission of fishing. But you have a mission to go fishing. Every one of us do. And it's, it doesn't have to look weird. We have next door neighbors. We've been praying for them for years. We have, I've been in their home. I've shared the whole gospel story with them. We've had them in our home. I helped him lay his, lay his sod in his yard. We've been inviting them to Easter services for years. Every year we invite them to Christmas. I invite them to our life group in our home. Always inviting. They're all, yeah, we'll be there. Nope. So Easter Sunday. I'd given them an invite. I, I jokingly said to my wife before we left for church that morning, maybe I should text them and remind them. 
She's all, no, don't do that. That's creepy. That's just weird. So we get to church. This is after like six years of them saying they'd come and they don't. I'm standing on the front row. First song of worship. Peggy comes up, taps me on the shoulder. Maybe second song. Taps me on the shoulder and says, Bob and Michelle are here. And I'm like, really? Yes, Jesus. And I go back and greet them. I'm all excited. And then I stand up and I get to preach the resurrection power of Jesus to transform people's lives. And they're sitting there. They got, they're, they're kind of deer in the headlight look in their eyes. And I went up to him afterward. It's taken seven years of living next to him. And they said, that was really powerful and moving. They didn't even know what to say. They're like, and I said, you know, that's, that's the Holy Spirit working on you. And they're like, okay. <laughs> but something had happened inside of them. You can tell, you can just see God wooing them and drawing them in and, and working on their life. We've just been loving them, loving them, encouraging them, walking with them. Right. And, and I'm not saying we're, we're not super evangelists. I'm not saying we're, we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm just saying that we got in their life and we invited them into our life. And we haven't even done that great of a job at that. But we've been there enough to where this relationship got established. That's how you share Jesus with your neighbors. And here's what you do. You tell them your story. Start by telling them your story. What's your story? How many people in here have a testimony? And the rest of you that are Christians and aren't raising your hand, you uh, you've bought a lie. A lot of us think, you know, it has to be, I was like me, you know, I came from a drug addict, convict household, and I was shooting heroin in my veins, and Jesus came to me riding on a, a holy chariot, and he lifted me up into the spirit and saved me and cleansed me. We think that's got to be our testimony. Your testimony may be, I was raised in a Christian home my whole life. I never did all that garbage. And yet somehow in the process... Jesus showed me I needed him, rocked me and saved me in grace. But he kept me from all that stuff and he protected me. But it wasn't that my heart wasn't drawn, but he kept me and he protected me and he's been so good. And that's my testimony. He has the power to keep a person from doing bad stuff too. That might be your testimony. That's powerful. People need to hear that. It doesn't always have to be I was this, that and the other thing and Jesus rescued me. It can simply be I was rescued from my self-righteousness. I was rescued from my religiosity. I thought I was a good person all along in my own strength. And Jesus showed me I was a mess and I was broken and I needed his grace. What is your testimony? But we have to understand. See, not enough of us are willing to leave our nets and follow him. And here's the challenge to us. Do you want your church to break out? You know, I was standing up here on the front row and I felt a burden for New Life Fellowship. A genuine burden. A struggle within my soul. And inside of me, I just felt like God was saying, I, I, I want to do something here. And I know a lot of you are counting on, and hear my heart, I, don't take this as a criticism, but you're counting on the move of the Holy Spirit. I call it Big Bang Christianity. Boom! The reputation goes out, people hear far and wide, and all of a sudden they come streaming to the house of God. And I'm going to tell you something, I love that idea. But let me tell you, it's so, so, so rare. And I found over the years that churches that are counting on 
the big move of the Holy Ghost to be what's going to grow their church and get their city saved are going to miss the moment in God because they won't embrace simple obedience to the Great Commission. There's an attractional model. I see it all over in Dallas. The attractional model of ministry is that if we build it right, we do it right, we have the best children's ministry, best worship, best youth ministry, got all these programs, we do everything just right, we got all the stuff, people will want to come. Right? That's called the attractional model of ministry. But the New Testament biblical model of ministry is the missional model of ministry. And that is where every believer recognizes their personal mission to win their neighbor to Jesus Christ. And they understand they've been sent by Jesus Christ to their world, their city, whatever their world is, their sphere of influence, their job, their neighborhood, the grocery store, whoever it is, that single mom who needs somebody to come and babysit for and win her heart and serve her. That's what we've told our people in our life groups. We want you to do three things. We want you to pray for your life list people. Those are people who don't know Jesus. We want you to find ways to serve them, and we want you to share the story. And the story is your testimony and the gospel of Jesus. So start that process. Pray, serve, share. But get into their life. That's the missional New Testament. That's the default mode of Christianity throughout history. Yes, big bangs happen. Yes, there are explosive things that God can do and He'll sneak up on you. But you know what I often find? The places He does those things are the places that made a decision years ago. We're on mission. We're going to our city. We're going to figure this out. We're going to change the design of everything we do. Everything we do is going to be intentional. It's going to move out. It's going to move toward people that don't know Jesus Christ because they are perishing all all around us but beyond that they need to know the father's love and know what it is to be reconciled and find their identity in jesus christ that's reality that's missional that's purpose and i've found that so many of god's people they have talked themselves out of winning their neighbors and come up with the most creative excuses i'm called to be an intercessor and what they mean by that is I'm called to pray, but I'm not called to do anything. And I want to tell you what Jesus said. He looked over the multitudes. He looked out in John, excuse me, in Matthew chapter nine. He looked out over them and he was moved and he was. He was moved inside by compassion and he looked at them and they were like sheep scattered without a shepherd. And he turned to the disciples and he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest field. And the next verse said, and he called them to himself and he sent them out two by two. Isn't that ironic? He says, pray, go. Pray, go. <laughs> Sounds like a sauce for spaghetti. <laughs> pray and go. See, we talk anyway. Am I, am I okay? Are you mad at me? Anybody mad at me? Okay. And the last point, and uh, you know this story, and it's kind of long, but go to Luke chapter 5. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and finish with this, but I'm going to move through it a little bit quicker. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And tell me when you're there. You there? Here we go. So on one occasion, this is the third encounter now that Peter has had with Jesus. And this is when he decided to really follow. He followed him after fishing, but there seems to have been a gap. And when I trace all the Gospels, there seems to be, even after that second encounter, 
that I just read that he hadn't yet fully bought in. And we know that really he never fully bought in until after the resurrection. None of them did. But while Jesus walked the earth before his death, burial, and resurrection, this is what happened. On, a, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. That's cool. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. I love this. He was both attracted and repelled simultaneously. You ever notice that strange experience? When he saw, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he, who and, all, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, just real quick, in the second encounter, they didn't bring their boats to land. It says the boats were still there and they left their nets and followed him. But somewhere in the process, they'd come back to fishing because this is later. You trace through the Gospels and you can see clearly this is a, a later event. Now, after this encounter with Jesus, they brought their boats to the land. They left everything and they followed him. I look at this text and I'm aware that when Jesus really kind of unveils himself, there's nothing you can do but follow him with abandonment. Amen? He tells them to launch out and let down their nets. And he's calling you as a church to launch out and let down your nets. You know, sometimes churches go through seasons and they go through times when their future and their destiny is hanging in the balance. And I don't say this in any way to be negative or I'm not trying to do that, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm doing this with fear and trembling. I really am inside of me. I'm very cautious. But I just have this sense that this is your hour. This is your time. This is a time where you really define who you're going to be as a people in the future. And, and there's some of you that are here. It's, you know, it's time to really say, look, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stand back as a consumer or as a critic or as a watcher. I'm not here to assess. I'm not here to size up. I'm not here to determine whether or not this place is the place for me for my needs and what I need in my life, it's time for you to say, I am here to grab the net and to go fishing. I'm here to be a part of the answer. And listen, can I just say something? Everybody's busy. Everybody has busy lives. We can always find reasons not to get in there and serve and help and put our hand to the plow and be a part of what God's doing to change a city and what God wants to do here. 
It's time that we bust out of that clergy lay mentality where we think the professionals are hired and we pay them our tithes and offerings and they do the ministry while we sit back and become consumers and sponges and we take in and we get fed. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is equippers are here to help give you the tools so you can be activated and all of us can be a team and we can work together and we can go to our city and touch it because we are the people of God. Amen. That's what God wants to do here. And there's some of you that are probably sitting here and, and, and maybe you're just sitting here. And maybe you know, you're getting healed up. You've gone through some hard stuff in life. Maybe a broken marriage or broken relationship. And you're sitting here, but you've been sitting here for years. And I'm going to tell you, I've learned something. Jesus heals me while I'm on the way. He heals me as I'm healing others. Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus was in the house. Peter said his mother-in-law was sick and he walked in the room and he touched her and she rose up and says she served them. You're here. He wants to heal you. He wants to touch you. He wants to do miracles. But I'm going to I'm going to tell you good services don't do it anymore. Holy Ghost meetings don't do it anymore. If Holy Ghost meetings and good services don't activate us to move out into our world and show Jesus Christ to the people around us and touch their lives, they're just a good meeting and good meetings are passing away. I've decided that good meeting Christianity is overrated. I'm tired of meetings. Some of you are too, aren't you? I've got to where I don't care if it's a staff meeting, I'm tired of meetings. I want purpose in what I'm doing. I want it to count in my life. It's an hourglass and the sand is going down. I want my life to count. How about you? How long we sit here till we die? Right? Let's risk. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets. Peter says, but you don't understand. We toiled all night. We worked hard. Much work. Few results. I've been there. Any of you been there? Maybe, Pastor, you're there. You feel like we've tried everything and I'm tired and we're tired and I don't want to try again. It doesn't seem to work. You know, it's a heck of a lot better to keep trying and die than to do nothing and die. Right? Let's rust out. No, excuse me, let's burn out, not rust out. You know what I'm saying. I'm not saying we need to get... Okay, listen, I'm not talking about striving. I'm not talking about works mentality. I Really, I'm not. I'm not trying to put a big trip on you. I'm just saying... Jesus is in us and we've got what it takes. And some of us, we haven't launched out into the deep at his word in a long time. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid to try. We're afraid to do something new. We're afraid if we do it, he's going to let us go. He's not going to be there. He's not going to back us. You know what? Let's try anyway. At his word. Launch out at his word. So I, I, I I hope grace is coming through what I'm saying. I'm trying to challenge you on one hand and on the other hand, I want you to know that I get that just working harder or doing more is not the answer. But I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'm convinced of something. When we love what Jesus loves and we do what he did, he was a fisher of men, he calls us to do the same. And he loves sinners and he, he was accused of being a friend of sinners and I'm just convinced when we get busy doing the things Jesus was doing, we just kind of give ourselves to him. And even we don't feel like we know what we're doing. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to back us and be with us and be in us. Some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen didn't happen inside a church. They happened as I was at the grocery store. 
They happened as I had an encounter with a person on the street and gave them a word of knowledge. And you don't have to be, even be religious about it. You can be conversational. It doesn't have to be like, whoa, the glory just came on me. and I'm going to throw my jacket at you so you'll be healed. Okay, yeah. Those kind of displays are a joke. They're not pleasing to God. God just wants us to be normal. Naturally, supernatural. Just meet people, befriend them. And let the Holy Spirit speak through us and love them and show them that Jesus is real. Okay, anyway. We have this reluctant struggle like Peter. Oh, we did that all night. But then he obediently trusted and he experienced great reward. And then, and then of course, then he recognized Jesus is here. He's miraculous. He's done above and beyond what we can ask or think. It takes two boats they're overwhelmed. He falls on his face. He grabs his knees or gets close to his knees, falls at his knees. I love the message. It says, Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. But he won't. He won't leave us to ourselves. And then he gets up. They bring the boats to land. They forsook all. If you know the story of Cortez, and listen, I'm not advocating anything Cortez or any of the any of those Europeans that came to North and South America and did horrific thing to the native peoples. I'm not advocating any of that. But Cortez understood something. He understood a principle when he came from Spain. He understood that if he gave his men an out and they knew they could return home, they would never commit to the mission. And so once they got there and they were on land, he turned around and said, burn the ships. We're not going home. And that's what Peter did. Once he saw Jesus for who he really was, he knew that it's time to burn the ships. He brought the boats to land, left it all, and followed Jesus. And that's what he calls us to do. Amen? Oswald Chambers says this, the highest Christian love is not devotion to a work or to a cause, but to Jesus Christ, which is where I want to end. And what I'm talking about is not just getting busy working, what I'm talking about is understanding that if we're devoted to Jesus and his person, we're devoted to his mission. We're devoted to a world knowing about him. And so what if we get rejected? So what if people don't like what we have to say? You know, we're too concerned about being um, loved by everybody. I'm not saying that we should be obnoxious jerks. Okay? Yeah. Going to hell! Jesus loves you! That's a great message. Okay. I'm not saying we do that. I'm not saying we do that. But what I am saying is we have to understand that Jesus was rejected by people and there's going to be people that reject you. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't let the fear of that keep you from telling them Jesus Christ is everything they're looking for. He's the desire of nations. He's the hope. He's what they've always wanted. Amen. Has I, have I spoke to anybody tonight? I'm, I know I've been all over the place. Um, will you just... Take a minute with me and pray. I, I, I just, mm, Lord, help. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid of what you're saying to us. Help us to not be afraid of what this means to us. Lord, I, I pray that even what 
I believe I've shared your heart here tonight. I pray that this wouldn't just be one of those kind of words that, that dissipates. I believe there are truths here that are eternal, not because I said them, but because they're in the Bible and you said them and they're true and they're real and they're your nature and your character. So I pray that you would not let this word just dissipate. You would not let it just lift. It wouldn't just be that we did a, a morning service and an evening service and we had a good time and we're glad Doug and Peggy Sherman came and now they've gone home and, and we're not going to do anything. Lord, I pray that you would, in a good kind of way, disturb us. I pray you would stir us. I pray that you would call us to assessment, that you would call us to prayer. You'd call us to ask you, what would you have us to do with the word of the Lord? Lord, I pray you'd help this church to wrestle with these things. I pray you'd raise up people who have strategic gifts and administrative gifts and abilities to see through your eyes and see the city and the region around here. And it's like I I hear the Lord like saying, don't buy the lie that because there's so many churches in Dallas that people don't need Jesus. Right? I mean, that's one of the things we do is we just figure, well, there's plenty of churches here and this is a city so full of international people. This is a city full of people that are moving here from all over the country. This isn't what Dallas used to be. This is a new place and it's changing all the time. And there are thousands, no, millions of people in this city that do not know Jesus Christ. Thank you, David. Oh, Lord. Lord, just... Come and give grace. Give us compassion for people. And he was moved with compassion and he healed them. Fill us, Lord, with eyes to see people the way you see them. Like you saw Peter, Jesus, when you looked at him and you saw a rock when he was jello. Lord, this started with changing our identity. Let us hear you say to us, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Let us hear your voice affirming us, Father. Let us embrace our mission and not be afraid of it, not talk ourselves out of it. Not justify our lack of caring for people that don't know you. Lord, Change our hearts. Do a work in us. I pray, Lord, that new life fellowship and whatever the future holds will become a church that somehow begins to move out in a new way. Make this a missional church. Make this a church that embraces their call to become fishers of people. The mission to go fishing. Let it be, Lord. Let it be, Lord. I know some of you here tonight probably came with certain expectations. Because that's our culture, right? We come for a good meeting. We want to receive personal ministry. I'm not saying the Lord isn't going to do that, but I, I have to tell you, I really, I really think God's up to something in the message.
You know the word repentance, metanoia, to change the mind, change our thinking, to shift our thinking. My prayer tonight is that our our thinking would be shifted. The spirit of fear cannot abide where there's love, power, and a sound mind. The Holy Spirit's here. He's the spirit of courage. He's the spirit of boldness. When people were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they didn't just speak in tongues and prophesy. They went out and preached the word of God boldly. They were willing to die as martyrs because they were so full of the Holy Spirit. They didn't seek to save their lives. They lost their lives for His sake and found life. They lived to give. They lived to expend themselves to be poured out as a drink offering for the sake of the kingdom. They were full of God. Enthusiastic, God-possessed people. And they spilled over and spilled out everywhere they went. Not caring for their life, but caring more for the lives of those who they would lay their lives down for. And I just want you to think right now, what is the barrier? What things are stopping you from going to the people around you? Maybe it's your politics. Maybe you think that because, you know, everybody's got to be this particular political persuasion or they have to believe this way. And, you know, you would never reach this kind of people. Maybe you're real conservative and you think that you could never reach out to a liberal Democrat or maybe it's the other way around. Let me just tell you something. Those kind of barriers have to fall at the foot of the cross. Maybe it's a color issue. Maybe it's race or ethnicity. Maybe, uh, who knows, maybe it's some other issue that you have. If it's a barrier that's keeping you from loving people, it has to bow to Jesus. Change us, Lord. Change us, Lord. Transform us, Lord. Give us a new mind and a new heart. Fill us with an awareness of Your love for us, Lord. Remind us. When we've been wrecked and ruined by His love, what else can we do? Ministry is an overflow. Sharing Christ with the lost is an overflow because we can't shut up. Make us that way, Lord. Make us that way. How many of you love new babies? Do you love it when somebody has a baby? You ever notice crowds are attracted to babies? Somebody has a baby in the church and they're holding the baby and the baby's cooing and laughing. You know, it's funny with a baby. It can be drooling and snotting and you don't care. Right? You live for that smile, that coo. When a church gets full of new babies in Christ, it does the same thing. There's nothing more beautiful than watching somebody discover Jesus. I love raw new believers coming right off the street. Half their language still hasn't sanctified, but I don't care. They're like, wow, beep, Jesus is great. Jesus is beeping great. Look, maybe that's the kind of stuff that hangs you up. Come on, get over that. You think the Lord really cares? He wants to wreck people's hearts and ruin them for grace and love. He doesn't care about that stuff. We're too hung up on stupid stuff. Come on. Come on, Lord, change our hearts. Change our hearts. Bring down the barriers.
Bring down the barriers. Bring down the walls. Do it in us, Lord. Do surgery in this place right now. I hear the Lord saying He wants to give hope for your church and hope for your life. He's a hope giver. He's not done with you. The last chapter hasn't been written. Brother, can I just, you right here, then right in front of me. What's your name again? Lonnie. Lonnie, I just want to tell you something. I've been drawn to you all night. I feel like God's really speaking to you tonight. He's just doing something inside of you. And it's a deep work. There's been a cry inside of you. Just a deep, deep cry inside of you to you just want to go someplace that you haven't been able to get to. That's the sense I have. And even what I just said, when I just said, you know, God wants to give some of you hope for your church and for your life. And immediately it's like inside of me, I went. And I just want to tell you something. God wants to give you hope. And he's going to give you hope. He's not done with you. Not done with you at all. He's not done with your sense of mission or your sense of purpose and I just feel, you know, I just have the sense you've taken some real shots. You've taken some real shots in your life. It's like the waves have beat against you. And you probably feel like you're weak and broken down and very little. But I'm telling you, God is making something beautiful and mighty out of your weakness. Amen. And I just hear the Lord saying that in the past you had a hard time embracing brokenness. You wanted to be the pillar. You wanted to be the strong and I just see you've gone through a process of embracing your own brokenness. And I want to tell you something. It's okay and it's beautiful. Don't you worry about what anybody thinks about you or says about you and the brokenness that you've walked through because what Jesus is doing in you is beautiful. And there's something really beautiful that's going to come out of it. Jesus went into Gethsemane, the oil press, and there he prayed and he poured out his heart. He poured out his tears and they intermingled with blood and he got up from that and he went to the cross. And he was broken for us that we might have life. And God's, I just, God's been taking you through a process. You've been going through your own Gethsemane. You've been going through your own season of the oil press. And doubted and questioned so many things about calling and about purpose and about uh, identity. And it's like, I just see you going through a process of remaking. But I want to tell you, the Lord is not done with you. And what's coming out of your life is beautiful. And it's going to emerge with new authority, with new weight. And you're going to have something to say to people that's going to rock them. And you're going to have open doors into the life of people that don't know Jesus. And I even see you having open doors into the life of people with influence. God's going to really use you, brother. He's doing a beautiful... Does this make sense? Okay, good, good, okay, good. Thank you, Lord. You're God's man. The grace of God is on you and your family in a beautiful way. It's a new day. It's going to be a process. Sometimes there will be suddenlies. But there's also going to be a slow emergence. But you watch what the Lord does. He's going to back you. He's going to back you. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Man, God loves people. Jesus loves people. He loves his people so much. I'm just really overwhelmed right now with how much he loves you. And I... I
Don't you give up on what God gave you here. Don't give up on it. The Lord's not done. It's like I hear the Lord, mm, wow. It's like I hear the Lord saying to some of you in your reluctance. Some of you are like, uh, you're like Moses, right? I can't speak. It says in the book of Acts that he was mighty in word and deed. And he was taught in all the ways of the Egyptians. He spent 40 years in the wilderness with sheep. And by the time God got a hold of him, the one who was mighty in word and deed could do nothing but say, I can't speak. That's all he could do. He could only speak sheep talk. It's kind of like some of you mommies who are home with kids all day, right? And your husband comes home in the evening and you just, all you can talk is baby talk. That's the way you feel, right? Your, your brains are fried. But some of you, you've been reluctant. You've been reluctant because you're, you're just not sure. You're unsure about moving forward in God, about even putting your hand to the plow here, about bringing what you have to the table. And saying, I make myself available. Here's my gifts. Here's my talent. I'm willing to sacrifice and do what it takes to be a part of what God wants to do. And I just want to say, the longer that we wait and we are reluctant, you know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? We don't understand sometimes when God wants to do something. I hope I'm making myself clear. I'm trying to speak very carefully, so decode what I'm saying. But many times when the Lord is wanting to do something, we're in a wait, watch, and see mode. And so we hold back. And we don't realize that that very holding back becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And things don't happen. You know, if there was half a dozen people here that were willing to say, "I'm, I'm ready to put myself on the line for the purpose of God's kingdom. God can turn things and move things in a whole new direction with fresh impetus and momentum. Amen? Am I speaking in mysteries? Or is this making sense? I feel like I'm speaking prophetically over you as a church. The Lord really loves you. You're beautiful people. You're touched by God. He wants to do a new thing here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come on, just tell fear to get out of your life right now. Come on, that fear, that emerging fear that is trying to tell you that somehow... Somehow you're going to fail or it's not going to work or you're going to be disappointed. I failed so much in my life, I can't even count the failures. All I know to do is get back up and try again. Of course, I try to learn something from my failures to gain wisdom, but you know my point. Failure is inevitable. But being a failure is not. 
right? Are you going to mess up? You're going to make mistakes? You're not going to do it right sometimes? Absolutely. Welcome to humanity. I know that drives you perfectionist crazy. Get over it, Lord. Anyway, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here. You know, I just want to kind of speak out of my heart over your pastors. I know you're in the back, Carol Ray, you're right up here, but it's hard to be a pastor. It's wonderful. It's incredible and painful. You put your life out there for people. You make commitments to people in your heart to be there for them, to love them. And you can never be enough. You constantly find that they get disappointed and then suddenly they just leave. Never call you, never show up, never talk, never communicate. They're just gone. One day you you realize that person, they left our church four weeks ago. I just thought they went on vacation. But they went on a vacation from your church. If you understand human nature, when you put yourself on the line for people, you really put your heart out there. And that happens over and over again. And it's, it's really, it's tough. It's tough. And what happens many times is you just, you kind of learn to, just kind of become hard to it. How many of you know that's not good either? Right? You get almost un. Or you decide you're not going to make that commitment of your heart any longer. And you can come to a point where you feel like your best days are behind you and you've done what you can do. And and what I want to say to the two of you is that you're really good people. You're good shepherds. You love the body of Christ. There's a beauty inside of you. There's something very special inside of you. And God's not done with you. He's not done with you. That doesn't mean the assignment's going to be the same. I think that you're walking on a journey towards some changes in your life, some changes that you know that, and I think as a congregation, you know there's, there's some change coming up the road. But I, I just want to tell you, that change is not because you need to just be cast aside and 
just it's different. It's a different day coming, different time coming. I, you know, I, I'm not going to prophesy over you. I just want to tell you that I love you as people and I think you're wonderful people and you're a gift to the body of Christ. And, and I, just, I know that over the years, a lot of calluses get built up in our hearts. We just kind of become calloused and not callous in a negative way, same way that you, you, know, you use your hands doing hard work and they get calluses so that you can handle that stuff. But you go through some callousing um, but I, I, I just want to commend you because I don't ever sense a bitterness or a hardness of heart or a harshness. Um, you could really be a certain way and you're not. You've kept a tenderness about you. And there's a beauty about you that's really beautiful. You've gone through brokenness and yet you've maintained just a love for Jesus and His people. I just want to commend you. You know, I've never, when I'm around them, I've never experienced that bitter fruit that you experience in some people that have been through hell and they've embraced hell in their spirit. And that's what comes out of them. They just got a lot of heaven coming out of them. A lot of Jesus coming out of them. Love on them real good, okay? They're wonderful people. They've been so good, so kind, so gracious to Peggy and I since we've been here. We appreciate it more than we can tell you. We've felt so honored absolutely blown away by the hospitality and the kindness, even from you as a church. You got something to give. Maybe that's one of the things you need to know. You have something to offer to your neighbors and to the people around you. So don't be afraid to share it. Amen? I don't know, Pastor. I'm not even sure what to do. Is this okay, what I'm doing right now? Is this okay? It's not just, is it turned into blah, blah, blah? If it has, forgive me, I'm going to go ahead and to bring it in for landing, okay? Why don't you stand with me? How many of you feel like God spoke to your heart tonight? How many of you feel like even as you've been sitting here in the last few minutes, the Holy Spirit's doing something inside of you? Do you? You're, really, you're not just saying that to make the guest speaker feel good, right? You really feel like that. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to do something about it? I want you to start to think right now. Let's take a minute. We're going to pray. You start to think. Let's ask the Lord, what would you have me do with what you've said to me tonight? And then if you need to write that down or do something with it, okay? Come on, let's pray. Just close your eyes for a minute. Father, talk to each of us. Abba, talk to each of us. You have spoken to our hearts tonight. Give us our own next step. Give us our own sense of how to take ownership of what we've heard. And thank you for the grace that's already there. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. This isn't guilt trip, reach your city. This is God loves you, go share His love. Go, God's favored you, go tell the world that they're favored in Christ. And show it to them. Lord, I pray You would launch this church into a new day in the name of Jesus. I pray You'd launch this congregation into a whole new sense of um, just embracing the mission as a mission of love, as a mission that's a joy to embrace, not a burden. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is, this is goodness, this is life-giving, this is what we've all really wanted. Do it in us, Lord. Redefine the terms, redefine the stereotypes, redefine the things that in the past we have thought that are wrong and give us 
a cleansing of our thinking and renewing of our minds and launch us into a new places in you. Lord, I pray your blessing on this church. I pray a blessing of growth, multiplication. I pray, pray a blessing of new spiritual babies being born. I pray, Lord, that you do a new thing here. In Jesus' name, you would crush every work of the enemy. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we ask before your throne of grace, and we thank you it is done. Because we asked in his name, and I know that what I just asked you for is according to your will. So let it be done, Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Amen. You know, this is...